if you grew up in the church like I did, then there was a song. Is the mic on? Yes? No? Okay. There was a song that we would sing a lot as a child, and it had the hand motions, and it had all of those things to go along with it. You'll remember it, this little light of mine. Remember it? And you'd shine your light and put it under a bush. Oh, no. You know, I'm going to let it shine. and Don't let Satan get out. Remember those? Well, that's a song that comes out of Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus is talking in the Sermon on the Mount, the fact that we are to be lights to the world. But sometimes we have a problem. Uh, Can we turn the clock on? Sometimes we have a problem when we are um, involved in singing songs, and that is we will take an image that is used in one place of Scripture and try to force the meaning of that, that image into another part of Scripture where the image may represent two very different things. When you read Matthew chapter 5, the light that we are to have is a good thing. And when we read about the light, and Jesus talks about your light, let your light shine. And he talks about being a city on a hill. And we're to be evident with the light that God has given to us and shine it out to others. When you come to Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 10, if you try to force that metaphor into this passage, you get really messed up. Did you hear what Dave read? Did you hear the words of that passage? When it talked about light there, light there wasn't a good thing. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 10, Isaiah writes these words. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let him, and the next phrase we want because we want to transfer what Matthew 5 says back into this. We want to say, walk in the light as I am in the light. And, but he doesn't do that. In a sense, he shocks us, even though this was written before Matthew. And he shocks us by saying, you who are in darkness, you who want to obey the Lord, let him walk in what? The dark. He asks yourself, what's Isaiah saying? What do you mean walk in darkness? How can that be a good thing? I thought we were this little light. And Isaiah speaks of walking in the darkness and not lighting your own light. When I was thinking about the title, I, I thought about the phrase, this little light of mine. And in Isaiah, Isaiah says, not You see, what makes light good or bad in Scripture is not its presence. It's its source. 
Where does that which I attempt to illuminate my life come from? Where does that which I seek to illuminate my path come from? What is the source of that light? For if the source is good, then the light is good. But if the source is corrupt, then the light is corrupt. And it will lead me astray. So when we come to Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 10, in summarizing this third song of the servant, Isaiah says, make sure you don't walk in the wrong light because it'll lead you astray. Now, over this Lenten season, we have been talking about the songs of the suffering servant. We talked about the fact that there are four songs in Isaiah that speak of this servant. Isaiah chapter 42, Isaiah chapter 49, Isaiah chapter 50, and Isaiah chapter 52 and 53. And we said that when we look at those psalms, those songs, those proclamations about this servant, what we come to understand is two primary things. Number one, that this servant is the personification of Israel. It's a demonstration of what God's people are to be like. This servant will show us what it means to walk in a way, to live in a way, to think in a way, to respond in a way that demonstrates God's presence in our lives. So we read that phrase where as the servant is being described, the servant is said to be Israel, the personification, the example of what God's people are to be like in their lives. The second part of those songs we will look at next week, and we will look at um, on Easter Sunday, and that is not only was he the personification, he's also the provision for God's people, the provision of salvation, the provision of deliverance, the provision of of allowing a fallen and sinful and corrupt nation to be God's people and God's servants. And so we look at those two themes and we've spent quite a bit of time and we'll finish it up this morning on looking at that personification, that sense in which This servant, we know to be Jesus, is an example to us. And what we've understood is to serve effectively, we must follow the example of God's ultimate servant. This one who is the Messiah. This one who is the one that is anointed and coming. This one that we now understand to be Jesus that we remembered in the communion table this morning. We saw a couple weeks ago that God provides in his servant an example of our purpose. What are we to be about? What are God's servants to be about? And Dave read it at the very end of that passage dealing with communion. 
When he says, for whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you, what's the next word? Don't know it? Proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And at that point, there will no longer be any need to proclaim because it will be evident. The purpose of God's servants are to proclaim the truth of God. That's where we can take the little light of Matthew 5 and say it is the truth, the revelation, the reality of God that we are to have as the foundation of our lives, that we are to live out and be our little light that we shine all around the world. But the second reality that we come to understand is that God provides in his servant an example of how to overcome. How to deal with the struggles and difficulties and pain and hurts of our world. Reality is, every single one of us struggles with what the world wants to scream at us. We saw last week in looking at this servant that this servant and the servants, the the nation of Israel and their fallenness, were in the midst of struggle and difficulty. And when we are suffering, there are inherent, there are associated lies that come with it, that begin to affect the way we perceive ourselves, the way we perceive others, the way we perceive relationships, the way we perceive our world, the way we perceive our God, and the real destructiveness in suffering is not the event that gets past. But the real destructiveness of suffering in the area of our psychology, our, our spirituality, our emotional reality, it isn't the event, but the lies that we too choose to believe that come out of suffering. Remember the lie of the servant who said, I've done all of this and it's worthless. The lie of disappointment. That there's nothing of value in my life and what I'm involved in. We looked at the lie of abandonment. I'm too bad. I'm too disgusting. I'm too guilty. I'm too vile. I'm too corrupted. I could never be loved and accepted. And we looked at the lie of guilt and shame and contempt, where the things that we suffer scream at us that it was our fault that it's our shame, that it's our guilt, that it's our contempt. This week I was speaking to somebody who was terribly abused. And as I was talking to this person, they were talking about the lies. As they shared the abuse, they were in the midst of 
agony and despair. And it came from the belief that being abused when they were this big was somehow their fault and their guilt. Was somehow their responsibility and their shame. Was somehow a reflection of the reality of their person and therefore they were to be dealt with with contempt. And guess how they dealt with themselves? With contempt. But God doesn't want us to live that way. And in this song, in this example of the servant and the servants, God's people, Israel. Isaiah says, we don't need to think that way. We don't need to believe the lies. We have a reality that is true and eternal that throws away and destroys those lies. So God reminds us that in his servant is an example of how to overcome the lives of suffering and pain and abuse and sin. We overcome it as we go through these songs, these four songs, particularly the last three. What we come to understand, first of all, is this, no matter how dark the situation no matter how great the abuse, no matter how difficult the circumstances, no matter how overwhelming and discouraging and disappointing the event is, in fear of the Lord, we can choose to listen to God's voice and overcome. That truth is found in this summary. There in Isaiah chapter 50 in verse 10, when he uses the illustration of darkness to say, if you're in darkness, don't go by wrong light. But choose to wait on God. And as he does that, he talks about the way that this servant walked. He said, who among you fears the Lord? and obeys the word of his servant. Word there has the idea not just to hear, but the example, the, 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 the pattern that has been given to us in this servant. And the first thing he says there is that this individual feared the Lord. And I can remember, especially when I was younger, I didn't understand that phrase. I didn't like that phrase. What did it mean to fear the Lord? I knew what fear was. I knew what fear was when somebody came up behind me and I didn't expect them and went, boo. And I jumped about that high. <laughs> my favorite time, time I was more scared than any time in my entire life, was the very first apartment we were living in, Cindy and I together. We were married. And uh, we were living in the apartment. And at about 3 o'clock in the morning, the pressure valve on our steam radiator in the living room blew off. And all you heard was, 
but much louder than you want me to do it. I remember being startled and wanting to get out the words, what's that? And all that came out was, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's terrified. That kind of terror prevents me from acting. But that's not what the fear of the Lord is. You see, when we understand the fear of the Lord, it's this, like the servant. We must be in awe of God. So overwhelmed by God's holiness, by his transcendence, by his otherness, by his incomprehensibleness, if that's a word, and his imminence, that he is right here. In fact, he's right here. But I must be aware, I must be in awe in such a way, not that it inhibits my actions, but it directs them. That when I understand who God is, I understand his wisdom, I understand his love, I understand his sovereignty, I understand his power, I understand who God is. I'm overwhelmed by it in a way that motivates me to move in a certain direction. To live in a certain way. To make choices based on the fact that God is in control and God is loving. And I need to be aware of that. And I need to use the greatness and the awesomeness of my God to overcome the lies of the world. The world says everything is by accident. The Bible says everything is for a purpose. The world says, he who has the most toys in the end wins. God's word says, he who is most faithful in the end wins. The the world says, what you lose here is gone forever. But God's word says, is what you have and lose here can be redeemed into eternity. It is making choices on the basis of who God is, the greatness of our God. But also, like the servant, we must remember God's loving relationship with us in order to rest in him. It's difficult to catch in Isaiah chapter 15, verse 10. But it's found there. It's found in a phrase that we don't quite understand because we we sort of act differently. It says, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of the servant? Let him walk in the darkness who has no light. Trust, and notice the next phrase. Trust. In the name of the Lord. 
If we believe that this awesome God is sovereign, as we'll see in a moment, if we believe that God has a purpose that he's moving towards, if we believe that, that God is with us at all times, then we need to understand the kind of God that God is. And it's found in his name. And the word name there has the idea of the character of God. What is God like? And you know, the problem is most of us have this terrible view of what God is like. We see God as this condemning, angry, vengeful God. And there's some truth to that. God is holy. God requires that that which comes before him be holy like he is. But that's not where the story ends. For the God that requires holiness provided it. The God who requires a payment for sin paid it. The God who said that which is corrupted by the vileness of the flesh must be separated from me. And so God in Christ experienced what it meant to be forsaken by the Father. In that idea of the character of God, is the knowledge and the understanding that God is incredible in his love and in his mercy and in his grace and in his redemption and in his restoration. You see, as you read down through those pages and you read and you got to turn back this time, but on Isaiah chapter 49 at the end of that second song, he's talking about what God is like. And he says there that they should shout with joy and celebration because the Lord has not forsaken Zion. He goes on to say in verse 15, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she will forget, I will never forget. I will never abandon my child. I will never forsake my child. I will never move against my child in a way that is not ultimate and good and purposeful. But what the servant understood is their relationship with God and Here it's as a mother, sometimes it's as a father, Mark 14, 35 and 36. This is Jesus in the garden before he's about to go to the crucifixion. And Mark says he uses a particular word. And I think theologically, when you study it, you learn that probably nearly all the times that Jesus prayed, he used this word. This is going a little farther. He fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. And this is what he said. Dad. Dad. Daddy. Every so often, my grown children, they aren't aware of it, but I'll catch it every time. They'll say, Daddy. It's not childish. It's endearment. It speaks of the relationship. 
And so in the midst of the depth of that relationship and the very loving character of God, Jesus says, take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. God, I will trust you. Because I trust your character, your love. Paul says that's true of every believer. This kind of relationship is for everyone who knows Jesus Christ as their Savior. And he says, for you to not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship. And by it we cry. And here's the quote from Mark that uses the Aramaic word that Jesus would have used, Abba. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And listen, if you didn't have a good mom or a good dad to demonstrate what this is like, watch Little House on the Prairie. Look around and find moms and dads that demonstrate it and know that's the kind of love, that's the kind of compassion, that's the kind of commitment. I see some dads leaning over explaining what Little House on the Prairie is. You really want to get old? How about Father Knows Best? God says, pick the perfect father, the perfect mother, and I'm infinitely more. Are you weeping over a sense of abandonment and discouragement and a lack of love in your life? I'm a mother that never forgets. I'm a father that is always dad. That's the light of God. That's the word that drives out and squelches the lies that the flesh and suffering and sin in the world would say to us. But, like the servant, we must remember that God gives us a purpose which motivates our life. Beloved, if you are in Jesus Christ, God has a purpose for your life. And those activities that you're involved in that at times seem so worthless. For the 9,999 time, you are telling your child a particular reality and you say, will they ever understand? This is worthless. For the 9,990th time, you are going to work and seek to do the best job that you can do when you say, is this even accomplishing anything? For the 9,999th time, you are on your knees saying to God, God, work in this situation. Is it even worth it? And what you see is the very words of the servant. When the servant says, yes, there are times of discouragement when I wonder if what I am doing is worth it. 
When in Isaiah 49, verse 4, I cry out and say, I have labored to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. But then the servant does this. He says, and now the Lord says, and he remembers the words of the Lord. He remembers that all that is taking place has a purpose and God is using it for his glory. You see that in verses 5 and you see that in verse 6 and you see that in verse 7 when again he says, this is what the Lord says. I will use even what seems to be worthless for my purpose. And then again in verse 8 of Isaiah 49, he says again, this is the word of the Lord. Beloved, whatever we do, this morning, one of the teens was asked to pray before we came out to worship. And, you know, surrounded by adults, there was a bit of apprehension, understandably so. But there's a message that that teen needs to know, and it's this. Whatever you do in faithful service of God is always honor either here and always there. Jesus understood that. It's what motivated him. He says in John chapter 13 and verse 3 and 4, I love this verse. I absolutely love this verse because it encourages me in the midst of difficulty. It encourages me when, you know, at the end of the 9,999th sermon you preach and it seems to have no effect whatsoever. Or at the end of a week where you've done this and that and that and wonder if any of it has any meaning. Or you've poured into your children again this and it seems to have no impact. I remember this of Jesus and it says, Jesus knew, he understood something, that the father had a purpose for his life, that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and he was returning to God. He understood that God was moving things and developing things and had called him and and chosen him. And that's true of every believer. And so what was he able to do in that context? He took off his clothes, put a towel around him and washed the stinky feet of the disciples. Knowing that an hour later, they'd be just as stinky and just as dirty. But God used it. God says it of us. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Every one of you have a purpose in God's kingdom. Every one of you have a purpose in the midst of God's body. Every one of you has a purpose in the midst of this local church. Every one of you, as you choose to serve God faithfully, God will use that faithfulness, maybe in ways we will never see until eternity. But I guarantee That faithful service is always used of God. I read several missionary stories this week of men that would, and women that would go to the mission field and they would, they would toil there for decades, 10, 20, 30, 40 years, and some of them saw one or two or three or four converts and that was it. 
But then you read about the next generation after them and how God used their faithfulness in ways they would never see this side of the veil to bring about revival in the very cultures they were missionaries to. To counteract that discouragement in the midst of faithfulness is to remember that whenever we are faithful, God uses it. He has a purpose. Like the servant, we must be convinced of God's sovereignty, allowing anticipation of our glorious deliverance. That in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the difficulty, that God is sovereign. And in the midst of that that servant's song, when you're reading there in Isaiah chapter 50, and he's speaking about his motivation and what allows him to keep going over and over and over again, he speaks of the sovereignty of God. Beginning in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4, where he talks about the sovereignty of the Lord has given to me. In verse 5, the sovereignty of the Lord has opened my ears. You read again the sovereignty of the Lord in, uh, in verse 7 and in verse 9. He understood that God has a purpose, that he's moving in a direction, that everything is going to accomplish his will. And that because God is sovereign, you can be certain That all will be redeemed. That all the good and faithfulness will be remembered. And that all that is done faithfully to God will be rewarded. Hebrews talks about Jesus and he says of Jesus this fact. That let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Who, for the joy set before him, the knowledge that God was sovereign and would work out his purpose, even in the midst of the darkness, even in the midst of a sense of abandonment, even in the midst of the discouragement, even in the midst of the rejection by his disciples, even in the midst of the suffering and the pain that a sovereign God had a purpose for it all. And so therefore he endured the cross. Therefore we endure the disappointment. We endure the discouragement. We endure the pain. We endure the loss. Why? Because there is a joy that is set before us. Paul said it this way. Again, one of my favorite verses, and I use this to encourage me in the midst of... of my own work, my own life. He says, now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful, who have been given a job, a task, a responsibility. He says, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself, meaning I don't come to a final conclusion. doesn't mean he doesn't examine why and what and where and all of that, but he doesn't come to that final decision. Why? He says, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who will determine the value of what I do. But go on. You can't just stop there. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes because he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness. 
and will expose the motives of men, not for judgment. The unbeliever is exposed for judgment. The believer is always exposed for reward. When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it's not to stomp us. It's to reward us. To find the gold and the silver and the precious stones. Because at that time, each will receive, and man, this phrase blows me away, his praise from God. Whoa. How would you like God to say, good job? The knowledge that God is sovereign and he'll expose all the faithfulness. Get rid of the rest and keep the best. But in order to live that way, we need to place ourselves where God's voice can be heard. You see that in Isaiah chapter 50 and there in verse 4, when it says of the servant The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ears to listen like one being taught. Dave talked about the problem of amnesia. There is also another problem that's very similar. It's the problem of apathy and indifference. God wants us to be where his word is there, where his presence is there. And in that, we learn to find, to think this way and to contradict the lies of the world. When we gather together, did you take time, I'm just asking, to listen to the words of those choruses we were singing? 10,000 reasons 10,000 years. Did it have impact on you? Did you let the Spirit take those words and say, listen? When we sang, living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he took my sins far away. There's some theological... Struggle there, but all of them did all of them. But did you listen? Are we apathetic to it? Do you take the time? Again, it's a question I ask myself. When I'm in the midst of the struggle, where do I run? I particularly like chips and dip. Bowl of ice cream. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's rage. Maybe it's gambling. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe, who knows? Do I take the time to say, what does God's word say about this? Before I call my friend, before I I do the next step, before I, you know, 
whatever, do I stop and say, God, what does your word have to say about this? What's the truth? When I feel lost and no one loves me, yes, call a friend, hug my wife, you know, do some, go to a romantic movie, watch Hallmark. But long before you do that, make sure you spend the time to remember what God says. It's a day-by-day-by-day struggle. Several weeks ago, we gave out the rocks. Remember the rocks? They're not out there anymore. If you didn't pick them up in the first several weeks, they're gone. How hard was it to remember to put this in your pocket or your purse or there are a couple times during the week that I had to say, oh, I want that rock, and I had to kind of turn around from the garage and go back in and pick it up and put it in my pocket. Or I got to work, and I had an extra one here. And I thought, oh, I left the one at home. I've got to have it. Do you know, it's so hard just to remember a stupid rock. It reminds me how hard it is to keep in mind constantly the truths of God's word. That's what God calls us to do. That's what the servant did. He remembered. He remembered. Now as you continue to read, and we won't look at it this week, but what you find is when we choose to walk in God's word and in God's truth, we find joy and hope. But the rest of that psalm, the rest of that song, the rest of that verse is a warning for those that would light their own light and reject God's word. And the struggle is that light will consume you. It will destroy you. God says, Walk in my light. Remember me. Fight the lies. Trust in the goodness and greatness of God. Fight the work up here. Counter the lies with the truth of God's word. And then choose to make the decisions to live out the truth to live differently based on that truth and watch what God will do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the example we find in your word. Thank you that it is an example of a servant who in the midst of the darkness trusted you. Father, ultimately that was your son and he is our example. But even more than our example, he is our provision. And all of this begins by placing our faith and trust in you. And Father, we invite anyone who is uncertain of that relationship to speak to me or someone else how they might do so. Father, those of us who have that relationship, help us to take it and remember it. To walk depending upon you, even in the darkness of our world and the darkness of our suffering. To hold on to the truth, to place ourselves where we can hear that truth. 
And Lord, we know that ultimately it will bring you honor and glory and praise. And Father, that you even will praise us when we choose to be faithful to you. Remind us of that in all that we do. And we ask it in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.